So if you've uh, just been joining us, we've been looking at uh, the, the, the chapters of, of Genesis that are going to cover from 4 to 11. And really in 4 to 11, what we see in 4 to 11 is we see the story of Noah. It's going to kind of uh, dominate, as we would see here, the, uh, the narrative. And, and you may, as we've been talking about Noah, you may or may not know the story of Noah. You may know some of the, 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 uh, the generalities of Noah, but not the specifics. You may know things of like there was a big boat, there was animals, there was rain, there was some probably at some point a rainbow. This is the story we tell the children. And it's a grand story. And actually the story about Noah and the ark is that the older you get, like stories we tell children sometimes, the older we get, the harder it is to believe. And so maybe you were told the story of Noah's ark when you were a kid, and you go, is that really true? And you start reading, as we're going to read some things today, is that, is that really true? Even where a scientist would say, well, this, isn't, this is not scientifically possible. And I would go, I, I don't know. I, tr- I, trust, I trust the Bible. And I also believe that we believe in a God who is supernatural. In other words, outside of nature. He operates. He's he created nature, but not bound by it. He set up the rules, but can break the rules if he wants to. But we get a little bit old and we start going, oh, these are stories. And the interesting thing is that, especially with some of these grand stories of the Bible, I think a lot of times we see the details, but we miss the main point of the story. Like we tell the story of David and Goliath, and we think that the main point of David and Goliath is that David killed a giant. Well, that's not the main point of David and Goliath. Or maybe you'd read the story about Daniel and the lion's den, and you go, oh, the point of that story is how cool would it be to hang out with hungry lions for a night? You know, that's not the point of the story. And the problem is we get to the Noah's Ark, and we think, oh, oh, we, we, we tell these stories. And we get lost in the details. How big was the boat? The boat was really big. How did he get all of those animals into that boat? Like, how did they all fit? How did they get all the food into that boat? How could that even fit? And then maybe you'll hear somebody talk about Noah's Ark, and we'll go, and how bad it must have smelled on that ark. And, we, we, and, 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 and how beautiful the rainbow is. And, and all the things is that we, I think we, what happens is that we, we hear the story, we know the elements of the story, but we miss the point of the story. And so one of my fears with Noah's Ark is that we would miss it. And, and what it is, even as sometimes you told Noah's Ark, and there's some, there's some things that are funny in Noah's Ark. I really do believe that. But often I've, I've heard Noah's Ark told as a story, as, more as a comedy. And if you read the story right, this is not a comedy, right? It's a tragedy. And that's actually what we're going to see this morning. It's not that we're not going to see the, the comedy, we're going to see it as a tragedy. And so what we see now is in Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve, they eat of the fruit. And what we see after Genesis 3 and the, the eating of the fruit is what we see is the downward spiral of humanity. And all the way it goes to Genesis 6. And what we see in Genesis 6 is, then it says that, that violence and corruption increase. In the culture, the world, violence and, and corruption had increased. And the question was, is who's going to do something about it? This is actually our question today. As violence and corruption increases in our world, why did, the, why, did the, why did the water come? Why did the rain come? It came because violence and corruption were increasing. 
And one of the, the two, two questions that face us as violence and corruption increases right now. And the first question that I hear a lot about is people go, how bad does it have to get? Like how, how much worse are things going to get before somebody does something? That's question two, then who will do something about this? As violence and corruption, this is, by the way, this is people on both sides, on all sides and everywhere in between. They're saying, how bad does the violence and corruption have to get? Like, how much worse is this going to get? And how much worse is it going to get? And then who's finally going to do something about it? And the cool thing is, is as we see the story, the story of Noah is that the violence and corruption got so bad that God said, there's going to be no more, and I'm going to go any further, and actually I'm going to act and I'm going to do something. But there was one righteous man. And it was Noah. And we find with Noah, we find the story is that there was a righteous man in the middle of unrighteousness. A faithful man in the middle of unfaithfulness. And a lot of times that you think, you think that because somebody's unfaithful to you, you get to be unfaithful to them. The story of Noah tells us differently. People think that because we live in a, in, a, in a morally corrupt, a morally bankrupt culture, that we get to be different. Or we do get to be different. But we don't get to match unfaithfulness with more unfaithfulness. Is that the call for the Christian is actually to be faithful in the middle of unfaithfulness. That's the call. And that's what we see with Noah. Noah makes us uh, know that it's possible. And so God says, I'm going to bring judgment on the world. That's right. We talked about the, the rain is judgment. The water is judgment. I'm going to bring judgment on the world. And in the middle of that judgment, God says to Noah, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. So you might want to build an ark, big old boat. And we saw last week Then he says, I want you to get in that boat. And then God shuts him into that boat. And God's been the one. We said, in fact, by the way, today, we'll still won't see Noah say a word. Everything is either by the hand of God or coming from the mouth of God. And so, so we saw is that God offered salvation, right? Last week, Noah built an ark. He provided salvation. Noah, get in the ark. Then he secured salvation. It says that he shut him in. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see the flood actually happen. Now what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see one event and two totally different experiences, right? So there's going to be one event and it's going to be two totally different experiences. One set of verses is going to be about one experience. Another set of verses is going to be about a totally different experience. I mean, think about like, uh, like, like a sporting event, right? You get two sides, two teams. One event... Two totally different experiences. Some are going to celebrate. Some are going to mourn. And the bigger the game, the greater the celebration, the greater the mourning. If it's the game on the largest, like the largest scale, it's going to be great exuberance met by great mourning. One event, two experiences. Or you think about maybe a civil trial in court. Somebody suing somebody else. And then the verdict comes back. The judgment comes down. There's going to be one event, two experiences. And so what we're going to see this morning is one event and two experiences. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 17.
it says this. Let me get to it first. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and rose it high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And so what it tells us is that the water came down. And we saw last week the water came down. The, the fountains burst forth. And it says that as actually that happened, what happened is that it actually, it actually raised the ark. And the water was so high, it covered all of the mountains. Now, this is a place where people go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Because what you think to yourself, right, is Mount Everest. 15 cubits above Mount Everest? What do you do with that? How do you, how do you solve that? How do you reconcile that? And I go, well, lots of people, there's actually like three main thoughts. One is that, yes, it was, it was submerged. Mount Everest was submerged. The other one is this idea that it's more localized, kind of like the flood was that like, like where, where, where humanity was living, that was it. And then other people would say, well, actually Mount Everest probably wasn't Mount Everest at that point, right? So Mount, the Mount Everest that we know was, was much lower, hadn't, to which I go, I don't know, like you missing the point. And I think if we read this story, we go, but yeah, I want to know, was it 15 cubits higher than Mount Everest? That's what I want to know. I think you're missing the point. Maybe it was. Maybe, I don't know. It says the whole world, okay, I'm going to go with everything. I'm okay with that. But I think it's missing the point. What's the point? What's the water? The water is God's judgment. And what's it telling us? That God's judgment covered everything. There was nothing that escaped his judgment. Everything came under his rule. Fully, completely. God's judgment was complete. God's judgment was sufficient. God's judgment covered. There was nowhere anybody could go to escape God's judgment. And what it tells us very clearly in chapter 7 is that as the water came down, what happened to the ark? The ark raised up. As the waters raged, Noah found security inside the ark. Remember the ark is, God's using his ark is to save Noah and his family. Have you ever been inside while the storm rages outside? It's one of my favorite things about the fall, the winter. I love to be inside the house, especially if I'm going to bed at night and I can hear the wind of the rain beat against the window. You're warm, you're secure inside. I go, doesn't that feel good? Why? Because you go, it is, there's chaos out there. It is raging out there. And I am secure and warm inside. There's something great about that. There's something metaphorically and literally amazing with this idea that as the storm rages, that I'm secure. And actually, it's interesting the thing is like the less secure I'm in the, I am in the storm, right? The more anxious and more anxiety that I feel. Have you ever had a leaky roof? 
As the storm rages, what are you thinking about? Uh, that's going to leak. I should probably get up and do something about that. Years ago, they put a new roof on here, but before they did that, as you guys know, it leaked all over the place. And as it raged, the storms raged, you know what I thought? <sighs> There's a mess I'm going to wake up to tomorrow. You see, the less secure you feel, the more anxious you feel in the storm. And one of the beautiful things about the story of Noah is as the storm raged, he was secure in the salvation of God. It's interesting because then we see something else, right? We see this even in the New Testament. When the disciples were in the boat, remember the disciples were in the boat? What happens? Storm starts to rage, right? The disciples don't know what to do. Where is Jesus? Sleeping securely in said boat? And how do they wake him up? Hey, Jesus, um, we just thought maybe you should like check a couple things out. There seems to be some water coming up over the side. We don't know, but hey, you know, when you get around to it, I hate to bother you. Is that how they woke him up? That's not how they, well, how they woke him up was, you don't care, you don't, obviously you don't care that we're perishing. Here we are, we're dying, right? And you don't care. The storm is raging. We are feeling anxious because we, we just know that we're going to die and you don't care. And what's Jesus' response, Right? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Do you trust in this boat? I wouldn't trust in the boat. Do you trust in your ability to calm the storm? I wouldn't do that either. Do you trust the meteorologist who says that this storm will cease at 3 p.m. tomorrow? I wouldn't trust in that either. Where is your faith? What do you think saves you? Because where you think your salvation lies is where you will find your security. And so here we find Noah. God says to Noah, I'm bringing judgment on the land. Build an ark. And I want you to get into said ark. And that ark is going to be your salvation. And as the rain comes down, as the water comes down, what do we see with the ark? We see, we see it raised up. It's very clear. It's, it's being raised up. God's salvation is being raised up. And here we find a way here that God says, although I'm bringing judgment on the land, for you, Noah, I'm going to give you peace and security in my salvation amidst the judgment. And so we say this is experience one. Experience number two comes in verse 21. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 
150 days. And so what we see is, we see that, remember, one event, two experiences. And so what we see is that the, the water is coming down and it's rising up. And it's, it's rising up for salvation to who? To, to, to Noah and all that are with him. But that same water that is actually bringing salvation to Noah is bringing condemnation, as we would say, to everything else. Now, I remember this part about the children's story. One event, two experiences. One event, the water's raising, two experiences. One experience is salvation. Everything else experiences condemnation. And so, you know, every time I see the picture of Noah, have you ever seen a picture of Noah? By the way, this is not, it's not a photograph, by the way. It's an artist rendition. But have you ever seen a picture of Noah, right? Of Noah and the ark on the water? Right? It's like, He's, maybe he's out there. You know, maybe the animals are sticking their heads out the boat. They're all smiling. It's on like this crystal clear, pristine like water. And I go, this looks much more like Noah and the cruise ship than it does like Noah and the ark. Have you ever seen a community when it floods? You think that water's pristine? What happens when it floods? All the debris comes up. And what it says here makes it very clear that everything died. Do you know what else floats? I mean, if, if the sake of getting, do you know that, that dead bodies float? We were in Galveston. Uh, a couple years ago, and we were it was there. It's just kind of reading the history of Galveston. There was a great flood. It was a, it was a hurricane that came through, raised raised the flood waters up to fourteen. I think it was fourteen feet in nineteen hundred. And to read the accounts is that people were on the second story, and what they said is the streets they would just they would they would watch just dead bodies float by. And 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 I say this not to gross you out. But I say this to go, this is the reality of what's happening. And all of our renditions are always like this, this clear, pristine water. And I go, in, in what world, when, when a community floods, does it look like this? And the truth is, the reason why we depict it, like, and by the way, I'm not saying we should change the children's Bibles, by the way. Like, I think we should, like, that's okay. Like, there are appropriate levels to tell children. Like, well, we want to be accurate. Like, they just don't, just, we can still do that with the kids. But, but the, the reason why I think we show it this way is because we're much more comfortable with God's salvation than we are his condemnation. Let's celebrate the salvation, but let's just kind of like, let's just not think about the, the, the fact that there's such a thing as, like, we would say, condemnation. And then people think to themselves, what about all the animals? What did they do wrong, right? The cows, the, the dogs, the cats. Okay, we get that. But I mean, uh, I'm kidding. 
I'm kidding, Leah. I know. I know. I'm kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But we go, but, but what about the animals, right? What about the animals? And because you think about like all of, all of the, the animals on the ark, but all of the other animals die, and you go, what did they do? And I think there's, that's actually an interesting question because I go, I think that's a question that sometimes those who love the environment, they get. They get maybe sometimes even more than Christians maybe even get. The fact that creation suffers because of the sins of humanity. Because of our sins, because of what we do, creation is hurting. Creation suffers because of what we do. Now, now that might just be limited, like, oh, but that's carbon footprint. I go, oh, if only the problem was carbon footprint. I'll tell you why, why creation suffers. I'll tell you why the world suffers. It's because violence and corruption increases. Yes, creation has long, long been suffering because of the sins of humanity. And Noah, the story of Noah and the ark, is its ultimate. And so as the rain comes down, as the flood raises up, what we see is we see death and debris would, would have populated the waters. And what I love is this idea that as, the, as God's judgment comes, it just brings everything to the surface and shows it for what it really is. It was death and garbage before the rain came. And all that God's judgment did was expose it for what it really was. I think to myself, what does, like, what did Noah think when he saw all of this? You know? I think it would be impossible to be exposed to that much death and destruction and not have it take a toll on your soul. Especially if you're, what the scriptures say, especially if you're, if you're a righteous man. I think things of like, did, did Noah experience survivor's guilt? I think about the sounds. I think about maybe people at some point trying to clamor to get in. See, I, I, don't, I don't think if you're Noah and you're a righteous man, you've got a, God, like a, a heart, the heart of God is that, is that you'd be able to experience that and not walk away changed. And so we have this one event. We have two different, totally different experiences. And unfortunately, I think in the church so often, all that we do is we go, look at this, God saved Noah. And I go, he did save Noah. But that's why we depict it as like, look at God's salvation. But we do that to the exclusion of the condemnation. One event, two experiences. You know, it's, it's interesting because the, the, the one experience salvation and the other experience condemnation. And it's interesting because, because as like the, we say, like the, the stories and the pages of the New Testament unfold, is one of the critiques of Christianity is that Christianity, the Christians are so exclusive. 
It's, oh, if you believe in Jesus and you go and you get to an attorney with him, you're saved. If you don't, then you're condemned. And I go, well, the problem is, is that's one, like that's not new to Jesus. I think it's ultimate in Jesus. But this is, I mean, we see this in Noah. One event, two totally different experiences. And one of the experiences was salvation. The other was condemnation. And I think what happens a lot of times is we think that God provides salvation over here, but then actually he provides condemnation over here. So in other words, if you don't take my salvation, then guess what? I'm going to push you over here and you're going to be condemned. And I go, that's actually not the way that it goes. It's actually the source. The same source of the salvation is also the source of the condemnation. It's not God, oh, you didn't take my way, so therefore I'm going to punish you. You didn't take the way of the salvation, and so that, that because of that, that what, what, wait, what waits for you is the condemnation. Paul says something actually very similar. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me read that again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross, to some, foolishness. To others, salvation. You know, one of the questions that people want to know about Noah is how long did it take for him to build that ark? I, mean, I don't know. Some people say 100 years. I mean, it's, it's a big boat. They didn't have a lot of machinery. I would think it took a very, 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 very long time. But remember the ark. God's going to use the ark to save Noah. Noah, what you doing? Building the boat. Why building the boat, Noah? Well, God's bringing judgment on the world and uh, he's going to use this to save me. Right, okay. 20 years goes by. Noah, what, no, are you still building that ark? Yep, why? Because God's going to use that to save me when he brings judgment on the world. <laughs> Noah. Foolish, foolish Noah. The ark foolishness to those who are going to perish. But for Noah, God's salvation. I mean, think about Noah building that for 100 years or whatever it would be. Who knows how long, however long he built that thing, but he built that thing going, this is what God's going to use to save me. This is what God's going to use to save me. God's going to use this to save me one day. It's not, by the way, if you watch the whole, listen to the whole story, it's not God says, hey, build a big boat and then one day I will tell you why I'm building it. Which God does that sometimes when he tells with Noah, Noah, I'm bringing, I'm bringing rain. I'm, bringing, I'm, I'm going to, to blot it out in order to be saved. I want you to build the ark. And so he's building it going, this is God's salvation. Foolishness to those who are perishing. Salvation to those who are being saved. The power of God. And so we should not be surprised then when Jesus comes and then there's the cross and then Paul says something very similar. The, the, the cross is foolishness 
to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he was, then he's an innocent man who died for a cause on the cross. Foolishness. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you know the power of the cross, as we were, we, the team was leading us in this morning about the power of the cross, then it's the power of salvation for you. One event, two totally different stories. Some are being saved. Others are being condemned. What's your story? I think that if you're not a Christian, that what needs to happen for you is that the cross needs to move from foolishness to power. You know, we, we, we believe in the promises of God. And the promise of God is that, that, that it's Christ who has taken on that condemnation. It's interesting, really popular in our world, right? And this is why, this is why condemnation doesn't get talked about because like, well, it's not popular. It's popular salvation. We don't want to talk about God's condemnation. But the problem is they're, they're both there and both powerful and both need to be understood. But really this idea with condemnation is like, well, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. You know, they've seen shirts that says, only God can judge me. Which the statement is then, so you need to shut up, Right? <laughs> But then my, actually my follow-up question with that is then what do you think that God thinks when he sees you? Only God can judge me. Okay, I, I actually agree with that statement. What do you think he thinks when he sees you? It's interesting because what we want is we want to silence the voices of condemnation that are outside of us because we think that if we can silence the voices of condemnation that are outside of us, then we can silence the voice of condemnation inside of us. But the problem is the the world could be silent and we would still feel that condemnation. And so what do we do with it? What the Christians believe, what we believe is that actually Christ took that condemnation on the cross so that you could you could experience righteousness salvation and so if you're not a christian what i would say is the same thing is true of noah is true of you one event christ on the cross two totally different experiences one of condemnation one of salvation now if you are a christian what do we do with this couple things one you find joy in salvation i think that christians should be some of the most joyful people but a lot of times they're not they seem angry and upset at like everything else and i go you should find joy in salvation i mean these circumstances aren't great you go well but if god loved me things would be better i go but but you've experienced salvation I mean, even with Noah, I mean, there were some brutal things about Noah. That's why we love the picture of Noah with the sunny and all the animals are smiling and he's smiling and the, there's a rainbow there. The water's pristine. Why do we like that? Because we go with salvation, things are perfect. All the circumstances are great. 
And so you keep on waiting to find all of the circumstances to be great to find any sort of joy in salvation. But that's not the joy of salvation. I mean, the, the, the joy of salvation is what we are saved to. And not just a perfect world free of, well, one day, yes, a perfect world, but not right now, is free of any sort of pain, but that we actually, that Christ is our salvation. That we find rest and peace in him. And so I think the first thing we do is we find joy in the salvation. But the, I think the, not the bigger thing, the thing that's probably more difficult for us is that we mourn the condemnation. What I find is often, as what's happening in our world right now, is as things get worse and worse, worse and worse, worse and worse, that Christians aren't mourning the condemnation. They're kind of joyfully anticipating it. Oh, you just wait. Oh, you just wait. My God's going to get you. My God's going to get you. And when he does, you're going to be so sorry. There's some people I find that right now as the world gets worse and worse is that there's actually some Christians that just they're like this joyful expectation to watch the world burn. Like, oh, I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. And I go, I, I, I just don't think that that's like, it's an odd place to find joy. But yet I find that Christians are increasingly anticipating that moment. I go, it's an odd place to find joy. I mean, I, I don't think, that's why I bring it up. I, I don't think that, that Noah found joy there. And I think when we think about the condemnation of people, anybody, whether the world or any person, that it should actually grieve us, not bring us joy. And we, we have this, like, as we live in this culture that is unfaithful, we go, oh yeah, yeah, yep, one day, one day, oh my gosh, you are going to pay. And what was, what was Noah like on the ark? I don't know. I have a hard time believing that as, a, as having the heart of God, a righteous man, that it, it was like the, that the Noah story was basically, the, the main point of the Noah story was, was I was right and you were wrong. That's the main point of the Noah story. That's not the main point of the Noah story. That Noah's from the ark saying, you guys should have listened. I think that, that Noah, Noah from the ark was grieving the loss, grieving the death. And I think one of the things as Christians is we find joy in the salvation sometimes. But unfortunately, we're finding joy in the condemnation. As a culture, waiting. I just don't think that's the right answer. Jesus, by the way, who took the condemnation as he was approaching Jerusalem and he was looking at Jerusalem and he saw not only the days that were to come but the years that were to come. And not only did he see the days that were to come and those were like he was going to be crucified but he saw the destruction of the temple that was coming. Like he saw like the, the ransacking of Jerusalem, the burning of Jerusalem. And do you know how he responds when he reflects on what's about to come to Jerusalem? I'll tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, this is what you get for not listening to me. Which is kind of true, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, maybe next time you'll listen. 
He doesn't say, and then you will know, and then you shall know. You shall know in that moment that I was right and you were wrongeth. Right? He doesn't do that. Do you know what happens with Jesus? Although he's about to be crucified, but he's thinking about the future destruction of Jerusalem, the loss of life. Do you know what he does? He weeps over Jerusalem. He cries. He doesn't celebrate. He says, oh, if only, if only you would have turned to me. If only you would have come to me. I would have brought you in. So what we find with Jesus is he finds joy in the salvation and providing the salvation. But he absolutely mourns the condemnation. And so why should we not find joy in the condemnation? Not because God isn't right. God is right. We should find joy in that. But we don't mourn the condemnation because God doesn't. Right? God mourns the condemnation. And if we reflect him, we too should mourn the condemnation. See, if all that's happening to you right now is you're looking out of the world and you're just thinking, oh, I just can't wait. And what's happening is that there's anger, there's anger, and that anger is moving you to bitterness towards the world. But the problem is that anger, displaced, will lead you to bitterness towards the world. But that's not what happens in the places of judgment in the Bible. The, the anger actually doesn't move to bitterness. What it does is that the anger moves to brokenness. I weep for you, I cry for you, I mourn for you, I grieve for you. And if I'm just being honest, what's happened with our Christian culture is that we have been more than the bitterness. We're angry and we're bitter and we're going to make the world know it. And we've lost, we've lost our sense of mourning and grieving over a culture in rebellion. As we see this one event and the two stories, if you're not in Christ, take the salvation he's offering you. Because if not, you will receive the condemnation. And if you are in Christ, I would encourage you, yes, find joy in your salvation. Find joy in your salvation. But please, would you like mourn the condemnation? Grieve for your neighbors. Grieve for your family. Pray incessantly for our culture. And grieve it. And may our anger move us not to a place of bitterness, but may our anger move us to a place of brokenness. And in so. And in doing so, we will reflect the one who provides salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your offer of salvation. We thank you that as judge is that you are looking to bring right to the world. That you have answered what you will do to come against the violence and corruption. And not just the violence and corruption in the world, but the violence and corruption that's inside of us. 
And the way that you're going to, 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 to bring that into account is through your judgment. And through your judgment, some will be saved and some will be condemned. One event, two different experiences. May we take the salvation you are offering us, Jesus. And God, I pray that as a people, as a Christian people, that we would be better mourners and better grievers of a culture than we are celebrators of condemnation. May we grieve with you. May we cry with you. May we grieve over a broken world in the same way that you grieve over a broken world. May the brokenness of the world not lead us to bitterness, but may the brokenness of the world lead us to us to grief and sorrow. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.